0: Hey, would you open your Bibles to the book of Psalms, chapter 42, and I'm going to read chapters 42 and 43 uh, straight through. This is the Word of God. Uh, By the way, some theologians, historians believe that 42 and 43 were part of the same psalm. They were the same song, and they were divided because they knew there to be 150 psalms, but there was one missing, so they divided these, but... uh, this is not without controversy, but some historians believe they found in the, the Dead Sea Scrolls the 151st Psalm. Um, so whether that is true or not, it is not without controversy, but the fact is, is when you read these two back-to-back, it feels like the same song. So verse 1, and this might feel very familiar to you if you were a Christian anywhere in the 80s. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, Where is your God? Therefore, I will remember you from the land of Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life, and I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying all day long, where is your God? My soul, why are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. And then verse 1 of chapter 43, Vindicate me, my God, and plead my cause against an unfaithful nation. Rescue me from those who are deceitful and wicked. You are God, my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning oppressed by the enemy? Send me your lights and your faithful care. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell and then I will go to the altar of God, to God my joy and my delight. I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Verse five, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why are you so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my savior and God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And we quiet our own souls this morning and pray that your word would be a lamp and a light for us today. In such an intricate and complex topic as depression, Lord, could you still speak to us through your word? There are those in this room that resonated very, very much with what the psalmist wrote here. Why are you downcast, my soul? Why are you so sad? We ask for your wisdom in Jesus' name. Amen. In 1994, LaVita Dunn was a Midwestern grandmother with perfectly coiffed hair, the kind of hair that you only get when you go see the hairdresser once a week. Every week, she was there on Thursdays. She watched her stories Every day, one o'clock, days of our lives. She was a devoted housewife. She was the kind of mom and husband that had coffee for her husband every morning, ready to go, and on his little table while he sat in his recliner and watched uh, Willard Scott or whoever it was. She was the stable uh, force in the family. She was a, uh, had one daughter who had four sons, and grandsons. She was kind of a petite woman, House was always perfect, always, always perfect. She was careful and cautious, and she was sort of the steady hand in the family, which is why it was so shocking to everyone in Christmas of 94, when she, sitting on her couch and looking at the family around her, looked to her new daughter-in-law and son, and said, the FBI is after me, and I know it, and you know it, and what is going on? Why won't you help me? Tears are streaming down her face. The FBI, didn't, there was nothing going on. She thought that the FBI was after her because she had, they thought she had stolen clothes from Joanne's fabric in downtown. And there was a, this was like, this was the real, and to her, this was as real as anything had ever been. And what would happen to LaVita Dunn that day was she would later be diagnosed just a few weeks later with a severe depression. She was having a nervous breakdown. And that was my first introduction to depression. It was my grandmother, that was Shannon and I married for two weeks. Me going, uh, Grandma, I literally have no idea what you're talking about. And my mother later saying, yeah, well, she'd been saying something. Like, Mom, how about a heads up when Grandma thinks the FBI's after her before we come home for Christmas? I'm trying to impress my new wife here. <laughs> they, uh, they gave her medication. But she was never the same. She went to be with Jesus about 10 years ago now and uh, would later actually be diagnosed with Alzheimer's. But she was only 62 at that point. That was straight-up depression, and this this was a, a result of what she had done in her earlier life and was holding on to these things, and eventually it had bubbled to the surface. Then we didn't have language for this. Then we didn't have the Internet to Google things. Then we're like, what is going on? How do we fix this? David in this psalm is. This is a song that I don't think you'll ever sing again the same way, because what he's saying here. This is not. It's a very sad song. And by the way, we don't know if David wrote it. We don't know if it's. So it says for the sons of Korah. There are some commentators that think David wrote it. There are some that think it was the sons of Korah. It almost. So the sons of Korah, Second Chronicles twenty-eight. I think they're the professional musicians. They were his people, his gang. So whether he wrote it and they performed it or vice versa, like he's Chris Tomlin, they're Hillsong United. You know, it's just, we don't know, but that's sort of the idea here. But he's saying, my soul longs to worship you. I sang that for most of my life as my soul longs to worship you, even though it didn't really long to worship you. But what he's saying in this, when you read it in the context of it, he later will say, I, I've yet to praise you. I will yet praise you. I will yet. He's saying, I long to, long to worship you. He, he's like, I, I know what I'm supposed to be. I know what is the way it's supposed to be. But for some reason, I, I feel like I'm being attacked. My life hasn't turned out the way that I've wanted it to be. He's, these mountains he's talking about are hours and hours driving. So days by camel away from where he's supposed to be. He's in the northern mountains of Israel, far from home. He's isolated and he's alone. And he's saying, my soul longs to long to worship you, my father. That is the song that he's singing. And he's talking about, He's just this guy is really sad. He's depressed. And the, and the, the God of our universe chose to leave this in here for us to make sure that we had this available to us. And based upon the response, I actually uh, naively put a little post up this week on the Facebook. I ask a really simple question. If you've struggled with depression or have depression, what was helpful that people said to you and what was unhelpful? And what happened was dozens and dozens and dozens of responses on uh, comments, on private messages, uh, uh, text messages, emails. And what that told me was that there were uh, many, many, many of us that are struggling with this thing that we know in America as depression. You know, one of the dangers of being a pastor is that I answer a bunch of questions nobody's asking. Another danger that is similar to that is I answer a question that everybody's asking incorrectly or incompletely. And so my plan here today is to show you what David is doing knowing that this will not be a comprehensive We got 30 minutes. This is my hope would be to put a primer, to put plant a seed, but to acknowledge at the same time that this is a journey that he is talking about here. I read that psalm in three minutes and thirty-two seconds. But this surmises the psalmist's maybe 30 years of his life in one song. This is a journey that he is talking about here. The thing is, is that I want a manual just give me the three easy steps, and if you go to a Christian bookstore, do they still have Christian bookstores? <laughs> I mean, actually, that's a genuine question. They do, right? So, I mean, they stopped carrying CDs at Best Buy this week. Like, the world is changing. If you go to a Christian bookstore, you would, be, you would think that, well, God just solves everything with ten easy steps. Because I want a manual, and I wish that it was, but that's not what he offered. He didn't offer me a manual to get out of depression. He offered me Emmanuel God with me to get through depression. And to think of it differently, this morning six young children so far have been saved and more are on the way who are being rescued from these deep, dark caves in Thailand. And the way that they're being rescued was not, they didn't go over there and give them a list and then tell them to swim to the other side. No, they have a diver with them, Emmanuel, God with them, as they are now navigating these caves to safety. That's what David is saying here. Emmanuel, God with us, will walk you out of it. And it isn't three easy steps, and you can feel it in the text. God, why are you this? Why, so? why are you downcast? Put your hope in him. God, why are you this? Why, you can feel the tension, the back and forth. It isn't an easy three steps. And so if you've been battling with it, on the one hand, I'm, I'm here to say, I'm sorry, I don't have that because it doesn't exist. And if someone does offer you that, save your money, they're robbing you. David here is giving us just, here's how, here's how it went for him. And here are things that we can learn from him. And I want to offer a couple of disclaimers before I get into this. One is I am not a medical professional, newsflash. Nothing that I'm saying here should be construed as medical advice, period. Period. want to say that. I want to say number two, that I have not personally struggled with a severe clinical depression in my own life. And so I want you to know that that is not something that I can say from that perspective. On the other hand, what I can say is I have walked beside someone who has for most of her adult life through the journey of depression. My wife has been very courageously open about that and talking with the women's groups here. And so I've had some experience there, but understand that's not the same as having experienced it, okay? And then thirdly, I want to tell you that um, based upon the emails and the text messages, there are things that you, pr- some of you came in here with a thing that you want me to say. and you're, So you're kind of holding on for me to say your thing, okay? I get that, I acknowledge it but I want you to, if you would trust me, to let go of that. Because I might not say your thing. I might, but I might not. But if you were waiting the whole time for me to say that thing, and then I don't say your thing, and then you've waited, maybe you've missed out on what God wanted to say someplace else to you. Does that make sense to you? So for today, would you let go of that? And then maybe we could engage later in a conversation about it. But to say that here's some things that I believe that God wants to uh, say to us this morning. And I want to know that it is informed predominantly for me because I'm a biblicist. I believe that God's word is enough. So it's been informed by God's word. But these, um, there are three books that if you're a reader, even if you're not, I would encourage you to be a reader. These three books informed a lot of what I want to share with you this morning, not only from my personal experience, but from The Soul of Shame, Dr. Uh, Kurt Thompson. That book is a, uh, is a brilliant, brilliant book. He weaves together the neurological, the spiritual, the emotional. All into one. It's a beautiful book. Wayne Cordero's leading on empty. Wayne was a, ch- a mega church pastor uh, in Hawaii that had a major uh, burnout. That book is his story. It's brilliant, and still, to, I still would say that the Voice of the Heart by Chip Dodd is a book that everybody should own. This guy has done a lot of work, and it is from a very biblical lens. Even though the book he wrote it, it's being used a lot in general market circles. Dr. Dodd lives in Murfreesboro, over in the borough east side. Represent, but this book. Uh, he this is he is a Jesus guy. I uh, a couple years ago went through an intensive with God. He wrung me out like a chamois. Just I learned a lot, and some of that is what I want to share with you this morning. So, with that in mind, in Psalm chapter forty-two, understand that in this room, uh, you know, doc, uh, th- th- in this room right now, that there are probably maybe twenty. 30 of us that are struggling with some level of a spectrum of depression based upon the numbers. And this New York Times article just came out just this last month talking about what's happening in our culture. And I don't want to spend a lot of time on statistics, which is my normal proclivity. But to tell you that in this room, that according to this, that there are probably 20 to 30, and a lot of you are men. Now, sidebar the biggest growth in suicides in America in the past 20 years has been white, middle-aged males. And I was intrigued because of the dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of responses I got, not a single one was from a male. doesn't mean they're not struggling with it. It just means I wonder if one of the reasons, and this is completely anecdotal and I understand that, if one of the reasons why men, that rate is so much higher right now for men is because men are actually not talking about it at all. We're trying to, to like bare knuckle it, right? White knuckle this thing. I'm going to just ride this thing out. And with females, with women, you guys have reached out for help. And it's certainly, by the way, the rate of suicides in females is on the increase. It's just not, still hasn't hit the same as with males. I just want to say that that problem is with us today. And when you go through this New York Times article, we won't this morning. They say that basically the premise of the article is with all the attempts at the government to fix this problem, the rates have gone higher, not lower. And when you read the article, you see immediately that the reason, I think the reason, is because they're trying to deal with it from a government, from a secular, without God perspective, and saying that it is completely either a medical or completely either a mental. And the problem is, is it's all of these things. And I believe only the Bible deals with every one of the issues from the emotional, from the physical, and to the spiritual. The Bible is comprehensive. The Bible is sophisticated. And I think that one of the reasons we can throw as much money as this as we want, but if we don't deal with the whole issue, we're not going to fix the issue in our people, in our society. Now, with that said, David asks the question that is probably the most important question that we have if you're struggling with it, when he says, why am I so depressed? One of the translations specifically uses that language. Why am I so depressed? Why is it that this is all happening, all this bad stuff? I used to be here, and now I'm here. And what he's really asking, the, under the question under the question is, what's wrong with me? If you go to a doctor... They might say it's medical. If you go to a psychiatrist, they might say it's mental. If you go to a pastor, they might try to rebuke it. <laughs> and parenthetically, whenever you the emails I got, what I feel like I heard a lot of was, hey, I'm experiencing this, and somebody came and gave me a solution. But it, what it was was, it, was this was a physical thing, or this was a mental thing, and if you just pray enough, this will happen. If you just repent enough, that will happen. If you just And so it became this very incomplete answer to them. And the truth is, is that we are... I, you, I just had to break out the Venn diagram because it's the only way I know to say it, that you are emotional, spiritual, and physical. Okay, you're an emotional creature. You have been created with emotions. Before a baby can think, before a baby can speak, a baby feels. So you have an emotional side of you. There is a physical side of you. There is a spiritual side of you. And all three of those overlap each other. And do you think like if you had a, a physical problem that that might could help affect your emotional problems? Absolutely it could. And the, and the problem is when we say, look, well, okay, here's my physical self and here's my experiential self, my existential, they go back and forth with each other. When Cordero talks about in his book that what he did, his path towards depression, his answer to why am I so depressed, is he is an achiever. He had a big church, mega church, kicking butt, taking names, he's achieving, and he's the whole time living on adrenaline. Adrenaline is another word for cortisol. Cortisol is your fight-or-flight chemical in your body. D- uh, David and Deb Amond, I don't know if they're here at this service, they, they told there's Deb, told us that they might, may or may not have seen a mountain lion in their backyard in Thompson Station going into the woods. Okay? If that doesn't drop some acid into your stomach, you're not a human. <laughs> okay? That's cortisol, okay? the fight-or-flight chemical. Now what happens is when I'm achieving, when I'm living in fear of my job, I'm living in fear of, well, if I say this wrong, you're not going to like me, and then the church, living in fear of, well, if, if the offerings are down, then we're not going to be able to make payroll. If, we're, if I'm living in that constant fear as a pastor, or you just apply your own life with it, then you begin to live on like a cortisol drip, drip, drip. And that what happens in that situation is that the serotonin which you so need for your human experience begins to drop in production because cortisol can replicate or mimic, I should say, the effects of serotonin. So your brain stops making serotonin. And what happened to Wayne Cordero was he had what we call a burnout, but it was literally just he came to the end of his rope, nervous breakdown, whatever you want to call it. He came to a severe depression because his body could no longer make the chemical it needed to keep up with his life. That's physical. But do you think that that might have affected his emotional? Or that his emotional actually affected his physical? Right? It's like, where does one stop and where does one end? And when you ask the question of why am I depressed, I don't know. I mean, these are all things that play into it from our side of the world here. Like, it, the genetics on the, physical, on the biological self, right, the physical self, that is a proven fact that there is a genetic proclivity in some people for, just like through addiction or alcoholism, that's a proven thing, that in depression that there could be a genetic connection in that, okay? That, that's a thing. Like, it's, it's, just, it's a physical thing. Life changes, life stage changes that can happen. You can have a physical illness, and we have a, a couple of people in our church that are battling physical illness that is literally debilitating them and it's causing sadness and depression in them. Why am I depressed? I think it's important to figure it out so that you can at least know where to start in your life. And I want to clarify one more thing. When I say, why am I depressed, I'm going to do my best in the next five minutes to explain this to you, and I'm going to ask you to trust me, okay? Because I'm going to say something that immediately might, you might you know, wince a little bit. This is informed through Chip Dodd's work and through, through other psychologists. But look, f- fear and anxiety, okay? Anxiety and depression are actually, listen, not bad. Anxiety is you saying, I want to make plans about what could go wrong, okay? That's not a bad thing to say that, hey, if there's a mountain lion in my backyard, I want to prepare for that. That's actually a healthy thing in you. Okay, that's not bad. Where it gets bad is, okay, picture with me this plant. In the core of who you are, in your heart, your voice of your heart, fear is a thing that's there for a reason, okay? I want my kids to be afraid to walk on the edge of high-rise buildings. I don't want them doing that. They should be afraid of that. That's good, but as I, what anxiety is really saying is I'm trying to control the narrative, control something that I may or may not be able to control, and so I attach that to something in the future now that maybe this could go wrong or that could go wrong, and before long, you're anxiety begins to spread further and further and further and further from your heart. And out here, you're not dealing with your heart anymore. This is where, and the further you get from your heart, the more help you're going to need to get back. That's why family therapists, that's why Christian Christ-centered counselors are important, because when you get here, when those kids are in that cave, they're not getting out on their own. This is now a medical thing. I would not go home and do an appendectomy on myself. Okay, the QVC home kit wouldn't do it because I need somebody to guide me through that. And the further I get from here, and anxiety is now over here, which is now a physiological response to trying to control something. That's why it literally is physical. You're feeling it. Your heart rate is racing. Your breath is shallow. You're sweating, you're feeling it, and some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. And I bring up anxiety next to depression because they're connected, okay? So let's come back to our hearts and say, oh, my heart here is, is fear that's healthy, and maybe it's moving out here to anxiety, but before long, I realize I, this is futile. I can't control all the controllables. I've got my children locked up in a room with plastic walls around them, trying to protect them, from everything, because it's un- that's unhealthy, that's out here. And when I realize that I can't control that, then depression begins to grow from that, And I want to be super, 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 super careful because I'm not blaming you if you're in depression. I'm just not. But in your heart, depression isn't the opposite of sadness. In your heart, anger is a good feeling for you. Anger is the thirst for life that makes you speak up on what matters to you. Anger is dangerous And I'm not talking about rage. Rage is not the opposite of anger. Rage is nowhere near anger. It's a whole different sermon, a whole different thing. Anger is what shows what you really care about. You can insult me, and maybe you already are. But you insult my wife, and by God, you better look out. Because that makes me angry. And anger says what I care about. Mess with one of my kids. Anger is very vulnerable it's a very risky thing because now I'm telling you what I care about. Now listen, think through this with me. In my heart, anger is telling me this is my thirst for life, this is what I want to do, this is what matters to me. I want to live. And then life begins to sucker punch you, and your voice suddenly doesn't matter anymore. Because your dad didn't listen to you. Because what you learned is if you gotta shut up and buck up. Because you learned and so what happens is now you begin to care less because your your voice is worthless. Worthless and worthless. And the further it gets out here, you are depressing your voice. You're depressing, what did David say? I thirst for you. You're depressing your thirst to live fully. And the further out it goes, depression is coming from that because your voice no longer matters. And you've shut up. You have suppressed it. You have depressed it. And here's the thing it paralyzes you at that point. And when I say to you the spectrum, what I'm trying to say is that. What David is saying in Psalm 42 is actually not a bad thing. God, what is going on here? What is David feeling? Sad, hurt. He's angry. He's pouring out his soul. And in pouring out his soul, that's actually a healthy thing to say to God, look, I'm feeling this right now. And he's pouring it out to God your anger is safe with God. Your sadness is safe with God. And he's pouring it out to others. The sons of Korah are his people. It's implied in this. He's writing a song about it. He is putting that out vulnerably and trusting someone else with it. So the question of why am I depressed, whether it's biological, you know, physical, experiential, those are things that are helpful to find out. For David, he was isolated. He was away from his people. Life had sucker punched him. For Levita done. Her voice had been silenced all those years. A dutiful wife, when, when, one, it's so, I hate to laugh, but it was kind of funny because my grandmother never cussed ever for any reason. But I remember when my grandfather asked one morning, Where's my coffee, Levita? Something she probably should have said 40 years ago. What we learned later was that Levita, had been separated from her husband, divorced in the 50s. No one ever talked about this stuff. I didn't know this stuff because my grandfather had an affair. My mother and his wife went and lived in a whole other place. She had suppressed this for decades. Her voice didn't matter. She had moved into a place where her chemicals were out of balance. Her, the physical side of her had been driven to that by what was happening in the emotional side, and here she is. And I want to say that because where she was, there was no getting out of that by just praying more. Okay? Some of you, that's where you are right now, and I want you to hold that thought. But some of you, if you are in a spot like where you've recently lost a loved one, it's okay to be sad about that. Not only is it okay, you should be. That's good. Sadness moves us to acceptance. What doesn't is when we just don't deal with it anymore. And when you get back to the anger, your voice, your thirst for life and your quest for wanting to live fully, if you have suppressed that, especially if you're younger right now, might I encourage you to trust God with that, to, to allow that to be in you, to acknowledge it, to take it to, to God, to take it to friends that you can trust. And I recognize that in many churches, in most probably even ours, that it isn't always safe to do that. And I was praying about this last night as I was walking around the neighborhood and thinking, man, wouldn't it be great if in a year from now, like a realistic goal. That everybody that wanted to be, not everybody wants to, but everybody that wanted to be, that had a circle of safety that they felt safe enough to say, I don't really understand this and I don't really want to pray right now. And I, a circle of safety for you individually. Some of you have that already. Some of you don't. Some of you haven't and it's not even in, in this church. That's okay. That's okay. Just a circle of safety for you to be able to say, because what David did was ask where it was coming from. He's acknowledging it, okay? And then he begins to pour out his soul, right? That's his thing. He's pouring his soul out to God and to each other, to those around him, and saying, God, I long to praise you. I really want to praise you, and I yet will praise you, but right now I'm on a journey to this. And for those of us that are, Here, in just the few minutes we have left, I do want to say this because there are those in here that love somebody who is struggling with this right now. And I want to acknowledge to you that I can tell you a thousand ways to not handle this. Most of them which I have done. But I want to say to you that if that's you on the other side and you're like the kid in the cave and you can't get out of it, Think of how we feel about the people who are the divers right now, risking their lives to go in and save them out of that cave. Wouldn't you, if you are not inside the cave, want to be one of those that could dive in and help somebody out to be Emmanuel with them, God in you, Christ in you, the hope of glory, helping them swim out? And I want to say that because... This is a tricky situation. One of the things that this New York Times article says is that 80% of the people that committed suicide in the last few years said they, they, there is no record of them having any sort of a thought of that at all. Nobody said anything about it. That means that some of us are going to have to be brave. Some of us are going to have to push in. When I asked Shannon about it, like what, what would it have been better for you? How? And she said that what helped her was somebody finally came and spoke because she was surrounded by people. And she didn't say a word until someone started pressing in, and parenthetically, wasn't me. And I'm not proud of that. But somebody pr- dove into the cave to help pull her out. Empathy, speaking, do whatever you can do to reach into that person. You are not responsible for anyone, but you are responsible to them. And now, to those of you that Maybe you're in the cave right now and you're waiting for rescue. David did some things that he could do probably. This is why I believe he probably wasn't in a fully clinical depression because he did say to himself, my soul, why are you downcast? Put your hope in the Lord. He began to preach to himself. And I would encourage you right now, if you're not in that place of cave, to start that This book, uh, *The Soul of Shame*, he talks about neuroplasticity and the way that your mind is altered with the synapses that are firing when you—that is, Paul didn't have any of that language when he said renewed by or being transformed by the renewing of your mind. What David was saying was he was telling the truth, and then he was saying, "Look, life is hard, but God is good." That's really what he's saying. And that, by the way, is a struggle. That is a tension. Life is really hard. Life is tragic. You're going to wake up in the morning and anything could happen to you. And if that doesn't drop some acid in your stomach, you're not alive. But by diving in with that, then saying, preaching to yourself, but God is good. That's the struggle. That was the struggle of Jacob. Wrestled. He changed his name to what? Israel, which means what? Struggle with God. This is a tragic world. But I know you're good. I've lost my loved one, but I know you're good. That is the tension and is the struggle, and God is willing to have that wrestling match with all of us and invite us into it. He gave us those gifts. And so I say to you this morning, if you can this morning, we're going to sing just a little more. I don't know if our, where Jason is right now, but I, I want to sing one more song this morning. I don't want you to have to sing. I want you to pray where you are. But to think maybe it might even taste like ash in your mouth. But maybe this morning, too, if you're in that situation, to cry out for help this morning. If it's nothing else than just a little reach out to somebody, take the risk this morning. And I know it's hard. And for those of you that say, I can't even do that, we're going to pray right now that God has someone that sees you that will. And I want to give you an action item, by the way. You guys, most of you know David Shendell by now. Would you just even, listen, while, because if you walk out of here, you might change your mind. While they're singing, David at conduitchurch.com. I would give you mine, but I'm on a plane to Uganda tomorrow, and David is way more capable. He is a this is a Navy SEAL level counseling guy. Okay. That will help swim with you and we can point you to people who can help you. But while they're singing this, would you, if that's you, would you have the courage this morning? push the little buttons on your phone to email david at conduitchurch.com and I recognize maybe you don't have a high-tech device here, but come see me afterwards. Find me. We'll keep you anonymous. We won't shame you. Father God, I just pray that your spirit is all over us this morning in this room. Bolstering the courage for those that need the help and bolstering the courage of those that maybe can offer some of the help I pray Lord that you would bring to our minds right now faces of those that we should be reaching out to today burn their face in our mind would you challenge us Lord to reach out with the courage to ask the awkward the scary questions to press in to dive into the cave and to allow our strength to help carry And for those that are in sadness right now that is in their hearts, Lord, I pray that you give them the courage to grieve well, to feel that and allow that to do the work that you created it to do. And for those that are inside of the cave, that would you give them one more day of hope, Lord, just let them hold on to that hope. Make yourself real to them today. We're so thankful that you didn't send us into this world that has now fallen and is, But you came and became one of us in this world. You are Emmanuel. You are God with us. There is no place we can go that you are not. You were there, Jesus. Thank you for that. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. There are counselors that I can recommend, that Pastor Shindell can recommend. There are people that can walk through you. You feel alone, but you are not. I don't mean that metaphorically. I actually mean it literally. Would you go this week and long to worship him, (laughs) be one of the divers, be one of the rescued, but know that he wants to be God with you in that. So God bless you.